With us today is Derek Webster. He's the executive director of New York Institute of Technology Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. He's also the founder of Minority Venture Partners that links minority entrepreneurs to experienced advisors, mentors, and venture capital. Derek is also an author. And if you're a budding entrepreneur, you should get a copy of Step Forward, an illustrated guide for advancing your entrepreneurial mindset. Derek, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, John. Appreciate it. So I want to sort of step back to that jumping off point in your career. And you're in your early 20s. You're pursuing a doctorate in art education. And then you decide to put that on hold and become a public school teacher in New York City. And you work in underserved neighborhoods in the city. And and during which you took on the task of unlocking the potential of the students and communities that you were in servicing. Yeah, I could absolutely start there. The way you frame it, it sounds a lot more noble (laughs) than the way it played out. I think I was just learning how to pivot early on by, as a young person, dealing with disappointment. I had set everything up for me to, uh, I had set some ambitious goals to achieve my doctorates by age 30. And I think I was well on my way. And I had an issue with the funding, technically. I had been in school for so long that I had amassed an enormous amount of debt. And so following through on that final leg of the post-secondary education and post-graduate education, I ran into financial issues. So uh, getting a job as a teacher (laughs) was kind of the... You know, uh, either get a job or be the proverbial starving artist. And that wasn't something that I envisioned for myself. So I think that's really what it was. But life really prepares you with these or or sends you these gifts, these unexpected gifts. And I'm so happy that my journey took me through working with young people. It's a way for me to stay forever young and really connected to the energy that young people bring, the optimism Mm. that young people bring to everything that they do. So again, what I find this fascinating is, so here you are now, you're teaching in an entrepreneurial studies. It's really all about business and, and how to take your ideas and put framing that and then creating something new and different, but you weren't a business major. No, no. And that was the first hurdle that I had to get through over in my mind is I knew I wasn't a prototypical business student. I didn't have an MBA, but I was really confident in my training as a creative, being an artist, there's a certain level of confidence that you build by being able to work on your own, develop a skill. You see a lot of uh, your progress in the studio. And I leaned on that heavily because I likened it to what often happens to entrepreneurs, that it often is a undertaking that you embark upon, oftentimes on your own. And so you have to have the internal confidence that you have the stuff that it takes to kind of make this thing happen. And you are leveraging and tapping your creativity at every moment to try to envision infrastructure where there is none, build relationships where they are not existent. So there's a lot of high over and crossover to the practice of being an artist and a creative and someone who is a founder who's trying to really seize an opportunity, but doesn't necessarily have all the pieces in place. So it's, it's interesting how you brought that. It's analogous then to being an entrepreneur and, and then how you sort of help people now unlock those intangibles of leadership, creativity, and help them develop ideas that become products and services, right? And combine that with sort of the technical side of running a business and how to manage it. I get a lot of professionals from all walks of life And one of the biggest concerns that they have is very much connected to what you just talked about, about not having a business background. Can I do this? 
And so for me, as a facilitator, my job is to try to inspire them and help them find inspiration in what they do have, their own experience. And so what I try to do with entrepreneurship is identify a set of core skills that most people have that transfer over well into new arenas Mm. and into new environments. And so if you ran a hotel, if you're a hotel manager, then you're probably someone who's very organized, has tremendous administrative skills, and maybe process-oriented. That works well in an entrepreneurial setting. You just got to know how to transfer it over into that. So it really is about tapping into what you do well and seeing how it relates into this new adventure called entrepreneurship. Interesting. So one of the things I'm always fascinated by, because you've worked with literally thousands of potential entrepreneurs and and you've had a lot of success over your career. What are some of the key elements that you like to see or want to hear when someone's pitching their idea to you? My mentor, his name is Arl Ohanian, and he is very much like I am. He doesn't have a formal business background, but he's exited four companies successfully. His latest was over $100 million, and I often tap him. Now, his actual formal study in terms of training, he's, he's performing arts. And so I asked him, I said, well, how does a foreign artist lead four companies to exit successfully? And he said, it's really about telling the story. He said, I'm great at telling the story. And so when I look at entrepreneurs and when they come to me, I'm looking for the story. Is the story compelling? And a story has to have certain elements, right? You know, when we were all kids, we we always, who doesn't love a good story, right? The story has to have a protagonist Mm -hmm. and there has to be a problem. So the protagonist is a hero, the person who has the solution. But the hero, their value isn't fully expressed unless there's a prevailing problem. And so leading off with a problem statement that's really compelling and then getting right to how do we solve it. In our class, one of the the decks that we use as an example is Airbnb's first pitch deck. I recommend anyone who's an entrepreneur to go online and Google Airbnb first pitch deck. You'll be surprised to find that their first deck or first series of decks were really spartan, 10 slides. But each of those slides came very simply labeled with introduction, problem, solution, market size, market opportunity, competitive advantage, and business model. And with that, if you can tell your story in that way, in 10 slides, I mean, you're really doing something. You've really got the investor or the advisors, you really got piqued our interest to really deep dive in further and find out, is this something that's scalable? Is it sustainable? And I think you that's the uh, that's half the battle there. Got it. So really, it's getting that entrepreneur to distill the idea down to its basic elements and then define yep. them in such a way that's really understand, that somebody can really truly understand and grasp and say, oh, I, hey, mm-hmm. I got it. I get it, right? Yeah. Nothing too technical because I think that's the problem. I think sometimes the entrepreneur wants to, who, who may come from a background of, certain domain or expertise wants to lay throughout the entire deck a lot of terminology that sounds impressive we're not impressed just get to it tell me tell me why this matters tell me why this will make money tell me why the market is looking for this and why you're the best person to meet its needs let's transition that so all right so you've got some interest going you have your pitch deck you've got some interest how important then is it to take that and, and to translate that into a formal business plan it's very important i think one of so you had that when you asked that question before i laughed because the business plan when i first started out, remember, I didn't have a business background. Mm. I thought the business plan was highly essential. And the challenge with it was is that it became an academic exercise. And for me, after teaching so many entrepreneurs, it's really not about when someone finishes their business plan and turns it over to you and they want you to look at it. 
I'm not looking at it for grammatical, you know, <laughs> correctness. You know, I'm looking for the story, basically. Does this plan tell me a story? Now, what's interesting is that there are components of the story that are really meaningful to investors or people that you're looking to support either as partners or joint venture partners. It's tell me the business story. Tell me what are the inner workings of the business? How does demand in one place tie into uh, a market need? And tell me how you're going to provide supply and how there's going to be a transaction that's going to churn revenue over a period of time. And that was important for me, too, because, uh, again, I'm not having a really established formal background. Financials became a real hurdle for me initially until the light kind of went on. Once I realized that financials are just simply telling stories with numbers. When I look at someone's business plan and I can look at their performance statement, I can literally tell the management decisions that are going on in that business by looking at the allocation of cash. So if you can tell a story in that way, how are revenues going to be generated? How are you going to keep costs low? and prioritize profits, I think you're going to get that investor to lean in even further and really start to take your business concept seriously. In interviewing several entrepreneurs for the series, they all talk about having a roadmap or a plan to follow. And one of the young ladies that I interviewed said very clearly that she very much understands she's a creative type. And actually was a theater major before she went into business. Yeah. And she said, mm-hmm. you know, it's important that since I'm creative, I'm always apt to look at shiny things. So the plan yeah. helps me stay focused on what the goal yeah. is and avoid getting distracted. I look at it as a manual. You know, the creative is a catalyst. So he or she has the ability to see opportunities everywhere. But an opportunity is not a business. It's your ability to organize resources, human, financial, and technical resources to be able to create a framework in which you can actually seize that opportunity. So yeah, the business plan is critically important. And it also helps the investor understand your capacity to foresee, anticipate, and respond to risks that are existent in the model itself. Right. One of the things that makes my skin crawl when I hear entrepreneurs say this, when they say no one else is doing this, we've got no competition. That's a concern for me because then what you, you think it actually, and many times they think that they're actually something that's going to press the investor, but it actually sends a different signal. It sends a signal that maybe your idea doesn't have a lot of traction. Maybe there isn't a market for it. Maybe it's just the bigger risk is that since no one has seen this before, that there's going to be a larger outlay of cash to convince the market of a need that it hasn't perceived on its own. Right. And no one wants to do, no one wants to take their money and throw that into something. So oftentimes the business plan helps the entrepreneur, the investor understand your plan, your ability to assess where the market exists, how you're going to either compete directly with competition or improve upon things that they've already done. A lot of times that tends to be the better bet than something that is truly breakthrough. Got it. You know, it's interesting that one of the aspects of mentoring and speaking with young entrepreneurs is to make sure that they're ready for the journey. And I love the quote that you used in your book from the noted business expert and iconic movie character, the fighter Rocky Balboa. (laughs) And I'm sort of paraphrasing. It ain't how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's how winning is done. And that's all about having, making sure the entrepreneur understands you got to have grit. You got to be able to make, make yeah. it through the hard times. Yeah. So that quote came from real world experience. My first tech venture, I entered after that 24 year old and going into teaching and learning and, and working in education. My first tech venture was about 27 
I raised a quarter of a million dollars to do an out-of-home digital marketing company. We worked fast. We worked furiously. We had a $1.5 million investment runway. And then the market crashed 2009, 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. hit. And it spooked all of our investors. And we went from $1.5 million to $0 in the span of two months. And that was my first kind of dealing, uh, you know, experience with failure on a grand scale. I had to lay off staff. I cut the insurance. I remember that was a big thing, cutting the insurance um, because my wife was actually pregnant at the time. She was actually getting ready to give birth to our first son the month before I cut the insurance off. One thing, lesson to you, those of you out there who are listening, keep the insurance well after the baby is born. (laughs) But that's a lesson learned, right? So here I am out of a business. My wife is also an entrepreneur. Her business was also impacted by 2008, 2009. And we've got a brand new baby. And as a dad, a new dad, I wanted to take care of my family. So I did odd jobs. I went back into teaching as a day-to-day sub. And long story short, six months, I had worked myself back up to close to a six-figure salary. And then the market was so bad, literally my job was shed again. I was first, last one hired, first one fired. Mm. And so I'm back where I am again. And I had this very pivotal conversation with my wife. And I asked her, I said, listen, our bills are mounting. What do I do? And should I go back to work or should I start my business? And my wife said, we believe in you. We trust you. Go ahead and start the business. And it was interesting. It was a great feeling, but I felt the weight, immediately felt the weight and responsibility of that. Because for the entrepreneur who makes a decision to be an entrepreneur full time, it's a highly disruptive decision. You're going to disrupt not only your life, but those around you, your friends, your family. You're going to ask for money at times when you've never thought that you would needed to ask for money. It's being able to get through that period of time, that level of resilience to do what it needs to be done. Um, this is a great quote that I've always heard. Entrepreneurs live the way others won't for a time in order to live the way that others can't for the rest of their lives. Right. And I always thought about that. And I thought about the tremendous level of sacrifice that not only I made, but my wife and my son and the rest of my family. We wound up downsizing. We sold off our condo. We moved in the family. Because we knew if we were going to do this full time, it was going to take a reset, a major reset. And not every entrepreneur is ready to do that. And the first day of my classes, I usually tell that story. And I can tell how many people are really, really rethinking this decision they're getting ready to make. Because I try to unravel and unpack the full weight of the decision. And... For me, if someone decides at that moment not to be an entrepreneur, not to venture into entrepreneurship, I see that as a win. That's not necessarily a loss. For me, I think I might have, in many cases, I've saved people hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment that they would have blown and broken relationships that they surely would have had uh, because they weren't fully invested into the process. Because oftentimes, it's not just your money. You're taking on investor money. You have a huge amount of weight and responsibility that goes along with that. Yeah. You don't hear about the hard times. And I, I, yeah. when you speak especially to, uh, to young entrepreneurs and especially those that don't understand that there are entrepreneurs throughout their community that struggle, that little business on the corner. And right now we're talking, it's July of 2020. We're, yeah. we're coming through the pandemic now. 
And as people start to think about what they'll do post-college, I look back in uh, going back to 2008, and we look at so the troubles of the financial industry and how the economy collapsed and we had graduates coming out. And what came out of that, though, was a lot of those people that could pick up the pieces for themselves and say, okay, I can't have a job, but why don't I create my own job by creating a business? And you see a okay. lot of startups that happen during these sorts of, of tumultuous yeah. times. The book that I wrote comes from that lens mm-hmm. of being able to be a self-starter, venture into self-employment, remove from an employee, capable employee who works well in an organization to becoming your own organization. So there's another level of instruction and leadership training that you need to undergo. And that's a lot of what we do in our classes. And while we're there, we also take the time to emphasize that the self-employed mindset is the mindset that you need to have in the current moment. But what you really need is a business mindset in order to grow to the next level. You can literally become self-employed for the rest of your life and be completely happy with that. But the great risk is that you are your business. And if you have a bad day, physically, mentally, emotionally, that means your business is having a bad day. Right. So we try to get people thinking about the business systems um, and the processes that are necessary to help them build infrastructure so the value they create can be repeated without them necessarily having to be there. One of the things that you talked about, and you used the word pivot, there was a quote yeah. from you that said, you learn to turn struggle into success by knowing when to yeah. pivot and when to persevere. And that's mm-hmm. that tipping point. So do I continue down the same path or do I change? What do you say to entrepreneurs about understanding when is that necessary to pivot? Oh, there's no secret sauce, I can tell you, John. Like I mentioned earlier in the conversation, my first pivot was to decide to go get a job. <laughs> and right. I was like most young people who doesn't really experience a lot of disappointment. At 24, being a doctoral program, I didn't realize how super lucky I was, right? So I was super focused on the disappointment of not being able to finish what I had started out to set out. But I think I made one of the best decisions at the time, which is not to persevere, which would have meant even more debt than I currently have now. I'm well into my 40s and still paying it back. And moving into another area where I could continue to develop my skills in other areas. I think teaching helped me to do that, helped me to learn how to connect with people. It helped me work on refining my story, my ability to present. And that was one of the best decisions that I ever made. In 2008 and 2009, when I closed my business, we could have forced the issue. In fact, we tried to force the issue. But sometimes the numbers don't lie. And you have to make a decision to say, you know what, this didn't work. And I'm going to now pivot and move into something else. A pivot is really being able to look at through a really practical lens. Do we have everything that we need in this moment to make this happen, to persevere successfully? And if not, let's figure out how to pivot and turn our energy and what we do have into something that we can execute. Yeah, it was great the way you phrased it. Numbers don't lie. So you got to be honest with yourself and take that self-evaluation as, am I heading in the right path or am I not? Yeah, that's exactly why the book is entitled Advancing Your Entrepreneurial Mindset. And part of that is being able to help entrepreneurs see their own thinking. So it's an illustrated book because I realize in working with thousands of entrepreneurs, our leadership style is often one that we're not really fully acquainted with, right? We're making decisions every single day, but we, we don't even see our own patterns of thought, right? And so in order to be able to hold your pattern of thought up to the light of scrutiny, 
someone needs to kind of hold a mirror in front of you and help you see your thinking. How do you process struggle or challenges that arise in the business? How do you think strategically? Are you optimistic or are you cynical? These patterns of thinking actually are form our leadership style right? and our ability to attract people to the venture. And so the other aspect, and this is true whether you're self-employed or whether you're starting a startup, your ability to attract the right people to the venture is about their ability to see themselves in the bigger picture. Yeah, but yeah. that comes really boils down to creating a vision. If I use a term to describe my business, the person sitting across from me has to have a vision or the ability to see what that will look like. And that's how you really get people mm -hmm. to follow. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the first step. But the other step, and this is nuanced. Because this is what I've learned over time. Because I'm a, I'm an artist, so I'm, I mean, you should right. paint big pictures, <laughs> right? That's the first step. But the other step is figuring out how to get that individual to see where they fit. Mm. That's where leadership really is executed at a very high level. When you can get someone who's highly capable, who can literally do anything with their time and their talent and their treasure and help them see how they fit in the picture that you created. Because if you can do that successfully, you have someone who's committed to the effort of bringing this idea to fruition. Right. Since you are an artist, I'm going to ask you to paint yeah. a picture for us. And that is, give sure. us one word that describes who you are. Uh, it's a really technical word. It's called a polymath. And a polymath is someone who is really good at many different things. I think Google describes it as a generalist, a brilliant generalist. In fact, Google prioritizes hiring brilliant generalists over specialists. And I think as an entrepreneur and as an artist, you've got to be good at many different disciplines. And I think from an intellectual standpoint, in terms of my own intellectual curiosity, learning never stops for me. Because as an entrepreneur and as an executive, I have to see the future. I have to be a futurist. So maybe, maybe those two words can work together, polymath and futurist. And my job is to think about the future in which my business exists and think about the disciplines that need to be in my business in order for us to be able to coexist and thrive in that environment. For me, I've tried to learn a little bit about everything, keep my, my desire to be a lifelong learner really vibrant and active. And I think that helps me be a better executive. That's great advice. Hey, Derek, listen, thanks so much for joining us today. I, I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. John, thank you. In this episode, we talked about using your creative and artistic mindset to identify an opportunity. But as Derek pointed out, an opportunity is not a business. It's your ability to organize the necessary resources to be able to create a framework in which you can actually seize that opportunity. That's the business. That's when you become an entrepreneur. Before you begin, question yourself. Am I ready for this journey? Using his own experiences, Derek described the emotional and financial weight you'll take on to be an entrepreneur full-time. It's a highly disruptive decision, not only in your life, but those around you. Your friends, your family. Will you be able to ask for money when times get tough? Face the hard reality when it's time to pivot. To do what is needed to be done to keep moving forward. He cites a well-worn quote, Entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. During that journey, you'll need to develop a plan and pitch your vision to investors, potential employees, and customers. With a pitch, you've distilled your business into a compelling narrative. 
Derek described this as a story with the traditional elements of a protagonist, problem, solution, along with market size, describing your product, and business model. As he suggested, Google the Airbnb first pitch deck as a model to follow since it lays out all the elements in a simple format and explains how the opportunity can be translated into a business worthy of investment. Your business plan then describes in greater detail the business story, how demand ties into a market need, how you'll fill that need, and how you'll convert that into revenue. It gives the investors insights into your decision-making process, your priorities, and helps the investor understand your capacity to foresee and respond to risks. These were just a few of the many takeaways from our conversation with Derek, and we appreciate his insights and for participating in this podcast series. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The director of professional enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our executive producer and social media strategist is Paulina Lamanier. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talesha and Petra Shantaraga. Until next time.